Welcome to the Plebeian Power Hour with your host, Kim and Tiffer. Before we get started, I just wanted to make sure that everybody knows we found out we were saying plebeian wrong. We were saying it plebeian. <laughs> plebeian. And we still might because that's the way I always... I can't even figure out how to say it. I always am like, it's a plebe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, can't, the... I can't make it myself think the of it. The first I had ever way. heard of it was in reference to plebes. Uh-huh. And then I looked up what that was. So to me, it was always plebeian, but it's mm. pronounced plebeian. Plebeian. So, so on just... the plebeian power hour, <laughs> we were going to be talking about the space race. This time. Yes. Oh, my goodness. There was so much in this. So when we went over the Cold War, there was there were so many pieces of the Cold War that we couldn't address them all. So... It had to be broken up into different pieces, and the space race is a really fascinating piece. So before we start, I'm going to just explain where I was coming from. I could never quite understand why this was such an issue of national like devastation for the United States and national pride. It was, I, it never made sense, but let me tell you what I have found. So. In 1931, two organizations combined together and became the International Council of Scientific Unions. Have you heard of this? I have not heard of that. Okay. This is where it all begins, the space race. So they merged from the Association of Academies, which had actually dissolved in 1914, and the International Research Council which um, dissolved when the International Council of Scientific Unions was created in 1931. And it actually ended in, 19, in 2018 and is now called something else. And I, I don't even remember what it's called. Something similar. So it was a non-governmental organization, and it was founded in Brussels. And the mission statement of this organization is to identify and address major issues of importance to science and society. And it is to be done so among all countries. So they were trying to say that science should not be, you know, limited to one country. We should all come together for the betterment of mankind, right? Yeah. So it remained fairly neutral in World War II. But after NATO was created there in 1949, there began to be conflict. And it got a little grisly during the Cold War. And some of the nations were now not allowed to come. They tried to remain neutral, but it was, people were angry at each other. So in 1953, well, they would have these, um, they called them International Geophysical Years. Have you heard of this? Did yes. you look this part so up? So I know the International Geophysical Year and then, yeah, but, but go okay. ahead. So for those of you who might not know, they would set off a, a, a particular amount of time and everyone in the world or part of this organization was supposed to focus their scientific research in this area. Now, up until about this time, they had been really focusing on the North Pole and the South Pole, like a scientific things. Well, they decide in 1953 that their special committee is going to plan for the 1954 conference to do... Um, what they called oh no now I've lost it anyway it's what they decided that year that they were going to do is they were going to plan ground-based research stations 
that used rockets to gather information in the upper atmosphere. So the United States, as well as other countries, would use these, these instruments that would measure pressure, density, and magnetic fields. Okay, So the rockets keep getting bigger. They're getting really excited in the United States. Well, in the 1954 International Geophysical Year, the United States announced they were going to make a satellite. So this is where it all starts. And I didn't know this. I, I just thought Russia just randomly popped up Sputnik and there we were. But they had announced it. And this is when the ICSU suggested that all the nations that are part of it try to make a satellite. So President Dwight Eisenhower signed off on the attempt to make a satellite. And to him, it was just purely scientific just for the scientific advancement of man. And so the Soviet Union was not actually participating that year. But the information was available to them. It's part of being part of the committee and, and being in the betterment of mankind to make this information available to everybody. So they had access to the public data. So in July 29th of 1955, America announces the America Satellite Program. In August of 1955, the Soviet Union announces that they're going to have a satellite program. Yeah, and I, I love this because there's throughout this whole episode, we'll be kind of talking about this back and forth between the Soviets and the USA, and this was one of the first ones. The Soviets didn't care. Like, they had no real desire. But when the United States was like, oh, we're going to do it, then the Soviets are like, okay, well, we're going to do it. <laughs> And, and this is where because the race they're already comes mad in. at each other. Yeah, they're and already it, frustrated. It starts to become Cold that war. national pride sort of thing. Is this doesn't have, and I, in my mind, it's more the Soviets because you can see this in the, a lot of the things that they do. Is that their goal is not is just it, to it's win. to beat the U.S. Mm -hmm. and and you'll see that in several cases as we go along where they decide to do something just to win. Well, if you think about it, so the Cold War start, started in 1947. So now we're in 1955. So we are in, and we are in at disliking yeah. each other. So that's one of the reasons they didn't attend the um, International Geophysical Year is because they're mad. They're angry at each other. Um, yeah, but, but I do want to kind of stop and go back to something kind of before because oh, there was something that happened in in World War II there was kind of a competition so in World War II the Germans had the rocket advances yes and they had what they developed a, what they called the V2 rocket which was primarily developed by they had the their primary scientist was a guy named Werner and von Braun Braun yeah and he was the top dog in rocket science. He was the guy who knew stuff. And and what's weird is if you go back even a little further, the U.S. had somebody who in like 1914 patented the liquid-fueled rocket. And he didn't build one. He built one in like 1926, and there's a picture of it, and it looks like a kid's science experiment in the backyard with like PVC uh -huh. pipe scaffolding and this four-foot rocket. But But that was... His technology was kind of what the, the Germans used with the, their V-2. But the V-2 in World War II could travel like 250 miles at like 
3,500 miles per hour. They ended up launching like 3,000 of them in the war, but they didn't really finish it till till the war was effectively over. Is this the um, oh, what's the one where it goes it intercontinental? There we go. Or it, is that the kinda, one that they were it, working on? So because I know the there was an say intercontinental. Is you really need more than 250 miles? So that's they were able I, to launch it and hit England, but they, this wasn't considered intercontinental. Uh, by what we would call that standard, because what we're talking about when we say that is, you know, the U.S. hitting Europe or the U.S. you know hitting Russia, and you need more than two hundred and fifty miles yeah. to do that. So I know they were working on one yeah. when they surrendered, and and they and, and this was the top dog, and both the U.S. and the Soviets, when they were going in, both were like, we got to get this guy. You know, they yeah. they both went looking for him, and the the. You know, the, this guy decided he wanted to go to the U.S. So yeah, a he, lot of the scientists yeah. did. Well, they, I mean, they they knew what was going to happen. You know, their programs were going to be shut down. This my my guess is that they had an understanding of what would happen to them if they went to the Soviets. So they specifically yeah. went out of their way to try and go with the U.S. And well, the, the U.S. got a lot of the scientists of the Soviet Union yeah. spoke a lot for itself. Yep, it does not seem very inviting to people, but. At the same time, the Soviets actually took over the laboratories. Yeah. So the Soviets got the laboratories, and they got a lot of bl blueprints, and they got a lot of information from the Germans, but the U.S. got the scientists. Most of the scientists. Most of the scientists. Mm -hmm. the, the Soviets actually got several scientists, but I don't know any of their names. But this uh, Werner von Braun guy became kind of the U.S. top rocket science scientist guy. Yeah. And he uh, made, you know, most of the big rockets that ended up being used, but there were some different programs. So that was just one of those interesting things that I thought is, you know, we were essentially taking this German technology. We went out of our way to get it so that we could have these scientists and have this ad advantage. And, and in 1949, we actually, I think, went to space with those V2 rockets. We sent V2 rockets into what's considered space. So there's a, a line, it's just a fake line, and it, it's 100,000 kilometers up from, yeah. that's where they say space begins. Although technically, like the U.S. atmosphere goes up way higher than that. It's just that at 100,000 kilometers, it's too thin to support aircraft, it's too thin to live, it's too thin to whatever, but, mm -hmm. you know, we, we have particles or whatever, we have atmosphere that extends tens of thousands of miles up into, you know, right. past that. So, but anyway, that, uh, that was just an interesting thing that he was kind of the start of one of the big space programs, and he became, uh, he was a head, the head of uh, what ended up becoming Redstone, but one, you know, the the first U.S. satellite into space, he designed yeah. the rocket that put it there. It was um, one more thing I wanted to say about the ICSU before we move on, though, is that year that they were planning for the nineteen fifty seven to nineteen fifty eight International Geophysical Year. They were asking people to focus on studying the sun and the, in the solar maxim and additional geophysical occurrences to see if there was any kind of correlation. So it was about taking measurements. Yeah. 
So that this whole thing started because they wanted to advance learning about the atmosphere. And it turned into like an international arm wrestle. <laughs> and, and it really did. Because the first, so the U.S. had a couple different programs um, that they were developing simultaneously. They actually had like three of them, but they had two major ones. One was run by the Army, and it was called Redstone, and that mm -hmm. had uh, Werner von Braun. The other one was called Vanguard, and it was run by the Navy. And I don't know who you know, was leading it or anything, but it was not focused. So the, the Redstone project was a military-focused project initially. Is, yeah, because they were make involved. intercontinental ballistic missiles. Let's see what we can do you know, with that sort of thing. Whereas the Vanguard program didn't have a military purpose like that. Its purpose was more, you know, let's see, what, you know, if we can get weather information, let's see, you know, reconnaissance, whatever. It wasn't necessarily military in purpose. And that kind right. of plays a part because one of the things, you know, if you remember with, with Eisenhower, when he left office, he was talking about, you know, the military industrial complex and you got to watch out for it. And I don't know if that played a role but he favored the Vanguard program mm -hmm. over the Redstone program, which is really interesting because if you look at like the U.S. military, the U.S. military has the website about its um, about the Redstone program and, and that sort of thing, and they said we could have gone into space first. We were ready. We had the technology. We had the ability, and they told us not to. They they wanted the Vanguard program oh, no. to be the first. So the Vanguard one, and I, I, there are two potential reasons that I can think of, and the first really is Eisenhower wanted this to be a civilian and not a military thing. He wanted this to be science-focused and right. not military-focused. Well, that was supposed to be its original intention yeah. at, at this conference. But the, the intercontinental ballistic missiles, so Russia, um, they, they launched a, an ICBM in 1957, and... Then on top of that, in uh, what what was it uh, October? When when was that? Um, Sputnik. Yeah, October October fourth, nineteen fifty seven. The Soviets put Sputnik into space, which is the first satellite into space. So they put this satellite that's going to orbit the Earth mm -hmm. in, into space. And going back and looking at that, that was one of those things the Russians were going to participate in this, you know, scientific thing, and they were building this satellite that had, a, you know, sensors and whatever else on it, but it wasn't ready. And they said, well, put something up there because we want to be first. The U.S. is close, and we want to be first. So they made this uh, Sputnik satellite, yeah. which was really... It was a radio. It would just it, beep. It, yeah, it just beeped. <laughs> it just so beeped. all it did is it had, like, a battery and a transmitter and some uh -huh. antennas and they set it out, and it would just beep, and people could like hear the beep. It was like the size beeps. of a basketball. Yeah. But and it was heavy, super, which, super heavy. Which is an interesting thing to get into, too, because it was much bigger than the U.S.'s first oh, satellites. Oh, yeah, it was. But, but it really was. <laughs> uh, there wasn't a lot of scientific achievement going on there, aside from we were the first ones to get a satellite into yeah. space. I wanted to kind of address the fact that it's really hard to separate the space race from the arms race because these rockets that they're making um, are in a way showing, look what we can do. 
like look at what we will be capable of doing. And because there were so much tensions, um, you just had the Korean War in 1950 and 1953. And I did not know this. I thought that Russia was, I mean, the Soviet Union was the first to invent the hydrogen bomb. America invented the hydrogen bomb at the end of the Korean War. So Russia is like, ah. Yeah, so Russia is feeling behind in (laughs) the arms race. So then they make the intercontinental ballistic ballistic missile. missile, But then they also have the rocket motors to get this Sputnik into the sky, which hadn't happened for the United States yet. All of the tries that the United States did had failed. Yeah, which is uh, the kind of one of the next things that happened. So uh, the Soviets put Sputnik into space, and then they decided, you know, their next thing was going to be Sputnik 3. So they were going to put that Sputnik 3, which had all the sensors and everything else, but they were coming up on the 40th anniversary of the Bolshevik Revolution, mm-hmm. and Khrushchev is like, we need to get something out for that. And they weren't ready with Sputnik 3, so they decided to put out Sputnik Two, which they launched a dog in. So to celebrate the Bolshevik Revolution, they will put something, you know, living animal into space. Which is a hilarious story. Yeah. When you when you dissect that, because Sputnik, I mean, this happened like right after Sputnik came, um, lost contact. So it went up October fourth. It transmitted radio frequency for twenty two days. And then the batteries died on October 26th. Well, Sputnik 2 is November 3rd. So this is yeah. like just a couple, like a week or so later. So they were really rushed uh, and they yeah. had to get this out and they put this dog into space. Lake Laika. Yeah. <laughs> they put this dog into space and it <laughs> it was only ever intended to be a one-way trip. Yep. They were all, they were rocket shipping this dog to its death for this celebration. <laughs> and it's just weird because I like for the science sort of thing, I, I totally get it. But for the celebration, I think. Yay. Yeah. We've the, killed the, the dog. The dog doesn't seem to be particularly beneficial for the celebration. No. And it, it died bef- like after just a short amount yeah. of time. It made it into space alive. They put sensors on it, and it made it into space, and then it died, and the, the Soviets kind of just lied about it, and they were like, oh, yeah, it was out there for four days. It was totally fine, and then we gave it a cyanide you know, pill to kill it nicely. And, and you're just like, what were you thinking? Like, did you did you forget to close the window? Like, <laughs> how, did this, how did this animal just, like, die like did you not strap it in was it like rocket shipping up well without there's a no chance on? that it wasn't gonna die because there's no way to retrieve it <laughs> they didn't have a plan and and the the thing is like it sounds kind of mean but i also to me i think yeah this is this is for science you know <laughs> if a dog dies for science because you'll find out later for science you know people died well there was some yeah. science to it you know like, there was they, they had some sensors on it to see what would happen. Because like, nobody knew. Like, like, that's the thing. Looking back, nobody yeah. knew any of this stuff. All this stuff, was, they were just learning about space. You know, we know that, you know, when you go up there and, you you know, reentry causes a tremendous amount of heat. They didn't know yeah. that. You know, they didn't know. In fact, what the, the guy who invented the, you know, the rocket, the patent guy in the U.S., he was saying, oh, yeah, one day you'll be able to go into space and you'll have these rockets. And people were like, 
rockets aren't going to work in space, you moron, because there's <laughs> nothing to push against. And they, they thought the guy was just a total, you know, here's this rocket scientist, and all the journalists are like, oh, what a moron. He thinks that you can, you know. I think I am that person sometimes. Because, you know, and nobody actually knew how any of this stuff really worked. This was all theoretical yeah. until they start doing this, you know. So they got Sputnik, and it didn't give them a lot of information. Sputnik 2, they got some information. But, yeah. but the big thing was the reaction. Yeah, it was huge. And this was really interesting because America said first they were going to do it. Soviet Union just does it. And, and the U.S., it, they, they have a bunch of people who think the U.S. could have been first. That the U.S. had the ability to be the first people into space and, you know, didn't do it. And, and if you go back, the U.S. had actually already been to space. They used the V-2 rockets to get up into, you know, above the the line that, you know, demarcates where space is. They'd been to space, but the the space race was kind of, all right, well, now we're competing against the Russians. And yeah. they came out and made those announcements about the satellites. Hey, we're going to get a satellite. The Russians say, oh, yeah, we're going to get a satellite. And the Russians won. The Russians were the first to get a satellite. So it became, you know, became this race, and there really is this psychological aspect that goes yeah. on. For, for a couple reasons, is one is a national pride thing. And I, it, I think it's really hard to understand what it meant, but I think it meant a lot to people. Like yeah. there was an article I was reading from a guy who was talking about the Russian program. You know, they were talking about when you know, the U.S. landed on the moon, what was the Russian response. And, and you know, he's kind of like, well, the Russians wanted to be first, so, so like they, they kind of downplay it, and it's not a big... You know, well, I feel like that's how it was for us. I feel like we're like, we won, we won. Yeah. But if you go through this, America lost almost every single one except for that. <laughs> in, in the beginning, the U.S. starts out way behind. And what's yeah. weird is I, I do think the U.S. could have been first. You know, if they would have gone with this Redstone military rocket, in theory, you know, both the military and the, you know, Werner von Braun was saying, we can do it. They won't let us do it. Well, there's another instance in the future where something didn't time out very well, and we'll explain that more as time goes on, and they're like, nope, we're pausing until we get this math exact. Yeah. And I do think that that's a gigantic difference, because when you look at Sputnik 2, when they launched the dog in, you know they had no idea where that was coming down, and that's why it was a one-way trip, because the math and stuff that it takes to get this to do, they hadn't really considered that at this point. But the Sputnik goes up, it falls back to Earth, burns up in the atmosphere on January 4th and of 1958. And so at this point, they don't, they don't have a game plan to bring anybody back. Yeah, but one of the things I wanted to talk about on the reaction is if you look through the you know, Eisenhower library documents, they've got a lot of good documents about the reaction, and there were several of them. So one of the things was they're trying to uh, acknowledge, you know, yep, the Soviets won, we need to do better, but there was a big push from people of, why did we lose? You know, we're, we're supposed to be better, why did we lose? And there's even this one particular document just kind of blew me away because it's this former department member who's saying, you know, this is bad. 
this is we need to do something the the psychological effects well, in their don't forget that they're talking about the whole domino theory at this point where yeah if, if the soviet union is the better country then everybody's gonna follow the soviet union but go on i'm sorry so i mean that's one of the things is they're saying that you know the soviets always claimed that they had scientific and technological superiority and now they've got something that they can you know hang their hat on here is they were the first ones and the you know public opinion starts shifting in countries and you know the credibility of the Soviet propaganda is it's easy to say the Soviets are lying, but when you know that they actually did it, you know, you, you can't really say that, but it, it really is interesting to see what those responses were because this one particular guy is saying we need to start having our own, you know, psychological warfare stuff going on to counter this, but uh, another response was the creation of, NASA so they start getting into okay let's let's have our our own department that specifically handles space know, space well that was in um that happened in, so 1958, 1958 is when, in July but, but but in January he sent up the Explorer 1 and well even before that there was one that I wanted to talk about because before Explorer 1 it was a failed attempt oh it's yes. the one I wanted to talk mm -hmm. about it was one of the Vanguard rockets, mm. and they, in December of 57, they had a televised launching of this Vanguard rocket as it blew up on the launch pad. Oh, wow. It, it, it was, you know. See, I'm so disappointed. Kaputnik. Kaputnik. <laughs> 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 oh, and, the and 50s. It, there's video of it. You can watch it, and then. And They've got this, you know, rocket, and it goes up just maybe a couple feet, and you see all the flames and whatever, and then it's it like starts North coming Korea. down, uh -huh. and it just, it just well, explodes into flames. All that, all that fuel. It, it's all liquid oxygen. Yeah. And it, I think it was liquid, liquid oxygen and alcohol for the U.S. and liquid oxygen and kerosene for the Soviets. Whoa. But uh, that was. A, a black right eye, before. you know, for the U.S. We, we and, couldn't, we couldn't have a good foot forward for like 80% of the space race. Yeah. And it's also what led to okay, let's let the, you know, the military rockets have a go. Yeah. And that's where in January of 1958 they launched Explorer 1, the right. US's first satellite, and they launched that on one of the military, you know, rockets. rockets. And, and this was fascinating because they put some real equipment yeah. on it and they actually discovered the Van Allen radiation belts the first radiation belt because of this satellite so it didn't just play beep 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 <laughs> yep. it literally learned scientific information i mean i'm not saying that i mean just the rocket itself was scientific information for sputnik but it it, but, it did but something. even the you know the soviets initially intended to do one that had like seven sensors on it and yes. they just weren't ready and they wanted to beat yeah. the u.s so their whole thing with Sputnik 1 was, let's just win. You know, let's mm -hmm. just be the first. I don't care if we get seven sensors on there. Let's just get it up in the space and win. Yeah. And so they, they did. And so the U.S. has been working on, you know, let's put sensors on there. Let's get information. Let's mm -hmm. do whatever. And the Soviets decide, well, if we can beat them. But the thing is, is when, you know, the public doesn't necessarily know any of this stuff. So the public just sees, 
Soviets were the first in, they must have an advantage. Well, I also think we need to back up. And I think we need to remember the Cold War portion, where America has weapons in Turkey and they're facing Moscow. Like, like we are already in a very tense part of the Cold War and um, at, by, by 1958. So NASA, again, is open in 1958. And um, that was Dwight Eisenhower. He yeah. was the one that opened that up. But in 1959, the Soviet Union then sends up Luna 1. And Luna 1 is the first spacecraft. I, I don't, I bet this is a lot of what they wanted Sputnik 3 to have in it. It had a lot of... Um, uh, and they in, did send up Sputnik 3 in, later in... Oh, 50, they did? In 58. Um, but it's, it's just one of those things that... There's so much going on that people mostly that just care just about the first. Yeah. So they're not the first anymore. You know, the the U.S. put a, you know they put another satellite up with the Vanguard uh, system. Uh, I think it was just a, a couple months, you know, so after the Explorer One. So they did Vanguard One, and it was the first solar powered satellite. <gasps> And they thought it was going to be able to stay up there for like thousands of years. And then once they got it up there and they started getting information, they were like, okay, maybe 200 years. And then it turned, it went for quite a while. Yeah. Like it was up there. Longer than 22 days. Yeah. Longer than 22 <laughs> days. And it was pulling information and. and Fascinating. I know, didn't even see that part. Relaying it back. And it was just one of those things that because it was solar powered, you know, the, the other ones have batteries. So they last as long as the battery. Yeah. Last. Which wasn't that long. Which isn't that long. They're too big. They're too heavy. They're and too and one thing I kind of want to go back and touch on, too, is the capability of these rockets. Yeah. The Soviet rockets were were superior to the American rockets. The American rockets were designed to put up maybe, you know, the Vanguard ones could only launch 10 pounds into space. Oh, wow. The Soviet ones, like the one that put... Sputnik up could put like, like 160 pounds. Yeah, it. they could put like 300 pounds into mm-hmm. space, and and even the military ones, the the Explorer, or not, yeah, Explorer one was something like 18 pounds, but that, that was, was kind of the limit of what you could put up, is they couldn't put up a lot, and and Khrushchev even made a joke kerosene. about the Vanguard one. Oh, no. it, it, he, he, uh, like, oh yeah, you put a little grapefruit into space because it really was. It was the size of a grapefruit. It was. It was small. It was aluminum. And it, it still learned more than their big old fat sputnik. Yeah. See this national pride. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All the propaganda works. <laughs> well, the reason the Luna One was special is because it was the first that exited the Earth's atmosphere, exited the Earth's orbit, orbit yeah, and it flew past the moon. Now, this was another suicide mission where it was supposed to land on the moon, plop itself down into the into the dirt, and um, on board they had like a little medallion or something that had the Soviet coat of arms on it, and they had a, like all of this other information detection stuff to see if there's radiation and to see whatever you know they could find out about the moon but they did the it says that there was um like a technical issue in the control system but it 
it missed the moon. Yeah. It missed it by 3,666 miles, and, which and is still really like close. <laughs> right. When you start getting into some of the things, when the U.S. sends its first uh, satellite by Mars, it's off by like 25,000 miles. Well, and we're like, we did it. We made it to uh -huh. Mars. We made it to Mars. Because the distance, I looked at the distance between the Earth and the moon, and it's 238,000 238, miles. There we go. <laughs> yeah, and, and you'll also, like the U.S. also had a program where they were trying to get stuff to the moon. And, yeah. And it, they had so many failures. They couldn't, they were using a new, like, rocket system because their rockets that they initially had were powerful enough. enough. Mm -hmm. They needed more, so they were using this new rocket system, and they just had failure after failure. They couldn't get them to launch. And even when they finally got them to launch, they were further off than the Soviets. Couldn't get the math to work. Yeah, they... I really do think people don't understand how hard it is. But, like, they didn't have computers the way we have computers. They had something they called computers, and yeah. it was people. It was people. And they would just give they people, were, they would I compute. need you to compute this, uh -huh. and they would just give them the stuff <laughs> and then tell them to go off and do the math. And they, these people would just go off, and, and those people were called computers. They did computations. Yep. Yep. And so they would just give them these, you know, stacks of paper. Go do the math on this and come back and tell us if, and that's what would happen. You know, they didn't have, like nowadays, you can, you know, your, your phone has more computing power than all of NASA had when they went to the moon. Yep. It's insane oh, you should to see the think stacks. about. There was a lady and she's standing next to these stacks of books. Just huge, ginormous yeah. books that are only all together one section of the entire trip to the moon. It was it's yeah. and it's taller than her. This is rocket science, folks. <laughs> uh, but that was in 1959. In 1960, we meet Ham. Do you have Ham? Uh, I, I have Ham on there, but I wanted to put up, I, I think in 1959, the U.S. sent some monkeys into space. That was 1960. That, well, I, I have Ham. A, May 1959, uh, Abel and <gasps> Baker. What? I don't have them. I only have Ham, who's a chimpanzee in 19... 60. Yeah, Abel and Baker went to space in 1959, and oh. uh, they survived. So they were the first animals to survive a trip to space, at least the first large animals, because uh, it, it's hard to keep track of some of the stuff, but they, they were the first larger animals to survive a trip to space. Ah, uh, I had thought Ham was the first, and I, I don't know why. I didn't say he was. I had just thought he was. From the United States, um, but he they they did a lot of photo ops, and he's wearing a space suit and a helmet, <laughs> which they, I'm like, there it is. That's so fun. They have you, some pictures of like like the Abel and Baker monkeys. One of them they uh, is in like a museum, so they like stuffed him and put him in the. If huh. you look at what they sent him into space, and they basically like put him in like this plaster cast or whatever. What? He's just stuck in this one pose. Like you don't get a move, don't whatever. He's just stuck in this plaster cast that they sent in. Because, you, you know, what? What? put a monkey in a space and let him run around. Like <laughs> that's not going to work out very well. So. That's what happened to the dog. Yeah. Like, <laughs> jumped out the window. They didn't, they didn't make it. <laughs> but another thing that I thought interesting too is that the, the Soviets actually did land an item on the moon, Luna 2, in, 1959. Oh, did they? So, so they actually 
landed, and, and when I say landed, uh, they landed a satellite at the speed of 7,400 miles per hour onto the moon. There, so this was not. There's no chance. There's yeah, evidence that proves this is it's no, theirs. Prove it, Soviet well, Union. Well, they actually had sensors on it that would <laughs> that were sending information back until about 50 seconds before it hit you know, sort of thing. Yeah. So there was some information, and then, yeah, it hits, and it's just demolished. Because, oh, I'm sure. Yeah. It, 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 <laughs> and the, and the, it, it's fast. still an amazing feat, and they end up land, doing a soft landing later where they actually landed Luna 3, I think, at like 14 miles per hour, and then were able to uh, get, you know, information and, and stuff like that. And all of this was educational. Oh, yeah. And, and because this is public information, there's a lot more being shared. I also imagine there's a little bit of espionage going on. Um, but the thing that made the ham, the chimpanzee interesting is because this might have been the experience that made America not have the first man in space. So what happened, ham goes up and he experiences some technical difficulties um, because his spacecraft goes too high, too far, too fast. And so it makes his whole trip two minutes longer than the calculations expected. So then he splashes down 60 miles away from his recovery ship, and it took them two and a half hours to find him. And the little capsule he was in almost sunk because they couldn't get there fast enough. And it was after this that NASA says that they are not going to launch another mission until they've figured out more about math and they figured out more about the development that has to go on. And because of this, in April 12th, 1961, and maybe not because, but not helping matters, yeah. uh, the Soviet Union has Vol Vostok and sends Yuri, I don't know how to say it. Gagarin is Gagarin, the way I say it. Which, can I just interrupt and tell you that my 11-year-old <laughs> was like, Mom, do you know who the first person that went in space was? And I was like, no. And he's like, it's Yuri Gagarin. And I was like, oh, did you learn that today in school? He's like, no. No. People just know <laughs> People that. People just know this, Mom. How do you <laughs> like, not know this? Yeah, I can't even say it when it's in my notes in front of me. Like, <laughs> Yuri Gagarin is? And, and that was another one of those ones where supposedly the Soviets kind of rushed it just so that they could be the first. Well, it? and he kicked butt. Because oh, yeah. he circumnavigated, he went in a full orbit, circumnavigated is the wrong word, but he went in full orbit around the world in under in an hour and 48 minutes. And, and then he comes back through the, you know, atmosphere. Yep. And he lands, uh, well, he ejects uh, from his satellite or whatever he's in, he ejects from it. And comes uses a parachute. Parachuting down into, like, somebody's farm about, like, 600 miles from Moscow. Like, yeah. Southeast this was, something. whoa. And this can you imagine amazing. being the farmer? Because uh, supposedly, like, these farmers <laughs> see him and he's like, don't worry, I'm a Soviet and I need the, I need the telephone so I can call Moscow. Let me remind, let me use this to pull back to the fact that we are in the middle of the Cold War. And the Bay of Pigs occurred five days after this. So no. there are... Yeah. This, this was 1961. That, that, that Bay was... of Pigs, 1961. I thought it was a 62. No. Oh. That, the Bay of Pigs. You're thinking of oh, the, the Cuban Missile Crisis. Cuban Missile Crisis. Yeah. So there's still so much tension between the United States and the Soviet Union. 
that I imagine watching someone parachute into your farm, you're like, ah! Because oh. <laughs> nobody even knows. Yeah. One of the things, too, is the Soviets are very secretive about all their stuff. Oh, yeah. Like, like they don't tell their people we're mm-hmm. doing this until they do it, because if they fail, they don't want to tell anybody. Yeah. The, the U.S. tells everybody, you know, hey, we're doing this, you know, like, well, news crews are at the Vanguard, yeah. you know, one failure launch. Oh, that was you know, and, terrible. And the Soviets don't want that sort of thing to happen, so they don't tell anybody until they're successful or mm-hmm. anything like this. So nobody... They take their own videos, and then yeah. they release their own videos. No, not, not, not even the Soviets know this has happened. They don't know that there's a guy going out to space. Yep. There's just a guy parachuting down in this bright orange suit. <laughs> coming down saying oh don't worry you know like i'm i'm a soviet now the united states wasn't that far behind no their first person in space and this is why um luna was such a thing or was it luna i meant ham i meant ham the chimpanzee because they weren't gonna let um alan shepherd of mercury redstone project become the first person from America in space until they had the numbers right. Um, and so he actually, I learned when I was researching all this stuff that he started the, um, oh my gosh, what do you call it? Tradition. <laughs> yep, that's the word of naming your capsule that you're in. Oh yeah. So he named his Freedom 7 and it, you can watch the whole whole launch on YouTube and he they just talk to each other because they're trying to learn the whole thing. So he's like, Freedom 7, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it's kind of amusing. Yeah. And the, the interesting thing about that, his launch is, so in the spirit of firsts or whatever, he was, you know, the first U.S. Yeah. You know, person into space. But he was also the first person to steer a vessel in space because Yuri didn't. Oh, that's right. Yuri, Yuri's, all the control for his satellite was done by the people on the ground. They they technically had, like, human controls in case something broke, but they were locked behind this safe that he wasn't so supposed he to get into. So he couldn't mess with it? And supposedly somebody gave him the combo, like, he wasn't even supposed to get it unless they broadcast it. And like, all right, Yikes. here it is. What if, what if the broadcast doesn't work? I know, exactly. <laughs> well, then Open you don't tell anybody. Note. <laughs> you, you tell everybody he landed safely. And that's right. He's with the dog now on a farm in the middle. Yeah. Of <laughs> He's with like a. Uh, oh. But in nineteen, I mean, in in May twenty fifth, on May twenty fifth, so so twenty days after Mercury Redstone and Alan goes up in the space, Kennedy promises that we're going to have a man on the moon before nineteen seventy. Yep, and it, it's interesting if you look at like you, you know you're looking for like government documents or whatever. Uh, Eisenhower's got a lot of documents you can read. JFK, you know, he didn't really get a chance to put a library together, so you can't really yeah. fault him. But his is mostly speeches, and his speeches are awesome. And the one where he's yeah. talking about this, oh, like he's making a sales pitch because he's telling, you know, this is going to cost a lot of money. Well, he's also this is going to cost, and we're going to pay the money. Just Bay of Pig. Yeah, <laughs> but but it's really interesting because he, he his sales pitch. Sounds awesome. Like, I'd have bought a space program from him. He's really making this good, good sales Good, because he had to make up for, again, yeah. the Bay of Pigs. <laughs> the, the other interesting thing is there's communications that go between JFK and Khrushchev. They're talking to each well, other. Well, they, they have the phone now. No, oh, no, not, not yet. yet. They don't have the phone yet. But they are friendly. 
and they are sending these what? letters, and, and JFK sends a congratulatory, hey, way to go, we can get Yuri into space. Nice job. And then Khrushchev responds, and he even, you know, here's, here's a quote from his letter, you know, if our countries pooled their efforts, scientific, techno you know, technical, and material, to master the universe, this would be very beneficial for the advance of science and would be joyfully acclaimed by all peoples who would, you know, like to see scientific achievement purposes and not, you know, Cold War stuff. Do you have the date of that letter? Uh, it was in 1961. Fascinating. And and there's a, there's more that goes on with this. Is uh, I don't know if you know, knew this, but JFK went to the United Nations and said we should all work together to go in space. Uh, know, I didn't know. So that. and this was in I think early 63 when he said it. But he was talking with with Khrushchev in 61, 62, and they're pretty friendly about this stuff, and they're saying. We should that's work together. Fascinating. Yeah, because that's the Cuban Missile Crisis. Yeah, like there's they're there's some friends. serious stuff going on. <laughs> but but when they're Cuban talking about this crisis. thing, they're saying this would be you know we should pool our resources together. Wow. One of the things that you know JFK says when he's in his speeches, he says you know hey we're ahead science wise, but they're ahead you know uh, what is it the capacity to lift vehicles you yeah. know large vehicles. So we're winning with. And he said, he's, we should work together. Yeah. And we should be cooperating on this stuff. And Khrushchev is like, yeah, we should be cooperating. And it feels like we're this close to yeah. cooperating. And then things go awry. Awry. You know, when JFK got assassinated, the Soviets did not like LBJ. Like, they liked JFK because I think they felt like they could trust him and that he meant, you know. Hey, yeah, LBJ has a lot of issues. Yeah. <laughs> He but was, they didn't trust he was in it for LBJ. Himself. And then Khrushchev, you know, oh, he seems... got ousted after, I think oh, he yeah. left in like 63, 64. But because of the Cuban Missile Crisis, they ousted him. So now you don't have the friendly relationship. So it felt like we were really close to having this thing. And keep in mind, the U.S. was behind, really. Oh, know? yeah. The, the, you know, hey, ha let's cooperate mm -hmm. sort of thing. It's easy to say that when you're ahead. Or or eat behind, whatever. yeah. But the the Soviets were they were game. They were game. The Soviets knew they didn't have yeah the science. They they couldn't. They had the rockets for military purposes. Like yes. they, their space rockets were designed as intercontinental uh -huh. ballistic missiles. And if you kind of follow the decline, the reason that they don't do that well is oh wait, I have so much information about. We that. will talk about that later. <laughs> I will do the two pieces of information or the three pieces of information and then I'm going to just go to town on why, what happened to the Soviet Union. So Kennedy's made his talk. August 6th, um, Soviet Union sends another person up who spends an entire day in space and then he gets studied about what that did to his body, which is also right before they developed Sarbaba. So at the, by the time they make their hydrogen bomb, they have the ability to intercontinental missile this this hydrogen bomb anywhere. So that's terrifying. And then in February of the next year, um, <clears throat> John Glenn is the first American to, to orbit Earth. And then we have in October of that year the Cuban Missile Crisis. So that's one of the reasons I think the Cuban Missile Crisis was so terrifying is because they have that mass power of Sarbamba. And then they have this 
this really good missile power rocket engine stuff. But here we go. So the reason they have this is not only did they steal a bunch of information from the Germans, which is fine, but they had somebody named Sergei Korolev. Do you have him? So I I had him initially. He was kind of the head of the the Soviet uh, space program, Uh not just the space program, but... I was looking at timelines, and it says all of this stuff, you know, Vostok 2, it has Sputnik, it has Explorer 1, and then it has January 16, 1966, Sergei Korolev dies. And I was like, why is this a big deal? Turns out this is the absolute turning point for the Soviet Union. And his story is absolutely fascinating. First, I'm going to show a picture of him in his youth where he's standing in this adorable, it looks like it's like black um, velvet outfit with like little lace on the shoulders and he's holding a little gun, <laughs> like a rifle. It's adorable. Um, but his story is so fascinating. So he's born in 1907 and Stalin is in power as he's as he's getting older and Stalin starts his great purge okay at this time Sergei is a scientist and Stalin is really angry at the scientists so he goes into the organization that Korolev works in and starts picking people out and sending them to the gulag okay so he worked at the scientific research the Reactive Scientific Research Institute, which is which was also ironically part of the group where we originally started this conversation about the science, you know, the international yeah. group. So Korlov was arrested in 1937 and tortured in a prison. Then he was sent to a gulag camp in Siberia to work in a gold mine. Okay, this this I don't even know how to wrap my head around this, like. In 1938, after he lost almost all of his teeth to the scurvy, he was sentenced, his sentence was reduced to eight years. And he had a mentor named Andrei Topolev who put him in a prison for scientists and engineers. They legit had a prison for scientists and engineers. So this is, this is World War II, yes? So in 1940, he's in this prison and this is where they start designing rockets. So it is the prisoners of these prison camps who are designing the rocket motors that Soviet Union used during World War II. I, and they designed like bomber planes and stuff too. I can't even, I don't even know why they would be like, sure. I know, absolutely. that's exactly what I kind of think. Have, have you seen Unless Chitty thinking, Chitty Bang Bang? I wonder if I can use this against Yeah. <gasps> oh, it gets, it gets more. So on Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, there's this part where they have like all these scientists trapped in a cave trying to make Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. And I was like, this is it. This is what they're talking about is they trapped them in these prisons and made them work for them. Anyway, he was discharged in 1944 and then commissioned into the Red Army in 1945, where he continued his work on rocket motors for military aircraft. So then he works in East Germany at the Institute Nordhausen as chief engineer. So he is still working for the Soviet Union 
who took him because of his beliefs, trapped him in a gulag, and put him in this special prison. Then he's like, sure, I'll make these rocket engines for you. And so he continued working on the rocket engines. And it was him who created the the spaceship who put Sputnik in the air. It was him who did the one for Luna. And then he dies and they don't know what to replace him with. They can't do it fast enough. They can't do it good enough. And this is the absolute turning point of who is winning. They had like one more thing where Luna 12 goes up and was the first probe that took pictures, which is, which is of the, it was the same year he was responsible in that mission. And then they couldn't cover the ground again. They couldn't pick up after losing this guy. Yeah. And and there was something, an article I read um, from, I think his name might've been Sergey, but it it is Khrushchev's kid. One of Khrushchev's kids, they talked to him. So they were talking to him about the U S you know, what, what was the Soviet response to the moon landing? What was whatever. And he was actually a scientist at one of, you know, at, at some place. And he said um, something along the lines of, you know, U.S. thinks that the Soviet thing was all, you know, organized under one thing. But the, the U.S. actually did that better than the Soviets. The Soviets had a bunch of different things. And after this Sergei Korolev guy died, he said that guy was really good at keeping everyone organized oh, and doing no. whatever. And they lost him. And nobody, nobody could step up and get things organized. Nobody had quite the history. And, that and so they weren't, they weren't making any advances anymore. Yep. They were just like, oh, we got this rocket. Let's use this rocket. And they couldn't get anything better. So the U.S. starts making better and better stuff. And when the U.S. does missions, it's learning how yeah, they to do something for the next the mission data. and to do whatever. Uh-huh. And the Soviets didn't and it built do on that. Itself. Yeah, the Soviets uh-huh. quit doing that. They didn't have... You know, they, they didn't advance any after a certain point, so they got out to an early lead, but then they didn't know what to, they didn't know how to keep it rolling. Well, to interject here, I I remember when we were talking about uh, Russia and how they became uh, communist and how when they tried to introduce new ideas under Gorbachev, the people were like, I, why aren't you just telling me what to do? Yep. And you, you just need to tell me what price I'm supposed to make this stuff. I, I don't know what to do here. And so I do kind of wonder if it was because of their inability to to come up with stuff and because they were so just, I'm going to do what I'm told, that they just couldn't recover after this. And and I really wonder, too, because I don't know what the full, you know, story is because there really might be a lot of, it's hard to motivate, you know, people with, you know, with the U.S., I think a lot of, the motivation uh, on the Soviet side, it really is, unless you're a big Soviet fan, what's the point? You know, like you're kind of yeah. doing this almost at gunpoint. Well, they were also in the middle of several conflicts Yeah. as well. So a lot, of, there's probably not a whole lot of national pride floating around that country. But in America there was. Yeah, in America there was. And America kept going, you know, JFK had made that promise, you know, maybe promise isn't the right word, but he said, hey, we're going to put a man Goal. on the moon. You know, we're going to put a man on the moon before the end of the decade. And nobody, you know, when he said that, that a lot of people were like, we can't do that. You yeah, know, it's that's a, crazy. That's a big thing to ask. Well, they'd learned about those those radiation circles around the Earth in that first yeah. Explorer 1, yeah. 
And they're like, you'll die. If you yep. leave this Earth's atmosphere, you're going to die. <laughs> and and it gets worse the farther out you go because they start putting stuff out and they, they start seeing, like, you're protected from radiation from the you know, US, or the Earth magnetic field up to... So most of these satellites, everything that are out, that are hitting that radiation are still somewhat protected. Like, it's even worse, you know, when you get yeah. out to the moon and they start finding that out. And they also start finding out things... So. The Soviets got the first uh, moon or spacewalk. They got the first spacewalk in like '65. And oh, really? The, all Where they did, did they walk? They, they didn't walk. It's called the spacewalk because you leave the vehicle. And all they did was they took a guy, tied a rope to him, threw him out the thing, oh and let gosh. him sit there for 12 I minutes. Didn't even know that he had no way to steer, no whatever. <laughs> like he's just out there. He's not doing anything rope scientific. Differ. Yeah, he he was on a tether, and that was it. And so he, but when he had to get back on, um, like they didn't realize how hard it was. It is like incredibly physically taxing to move in like the zero g, Uh and it doesn't sound like it. It sounds like it'd be so easy. Well, you got nothing to push off. Yeah, yeah. So when he had to get back onto the ship or whatever. Like, from the physical exertion, like, his temperature went up, like, four degrees. Wow. And so then the U.S., you know, again, was just right behind. So that was in March of 65. The U.S. in June of 65, they had a guy go out and do a spacewalk. And he had a little handheld um, propellant unit so that he could Uh-oh. steer. But it only could only do, like, 20 seconds. Keep in mind, like, one burst. One burst will totally will change you. your yeah. tra- trajectory. And if you're moving, there's nothing there's really nothing, to stop you. The, the you tether. just keep going. Yes. So he's tethered as like, well. But but he talks about how hard it is. Like he he said, like you, you don't want it. This is like physically so hard. Wow. And so the U.S. Uh, starts they they have they start training underwater with scuba people who are telling them, you know, this is how scuba people preserve muscle, you know, you know, energy or whatever. And they, they start using some of those techniques to when they go up in space. And so the U.S. is training way better. And the Soviets yeah. aren't doing any of this. Well, yeah. Well, I, I wonder, too, if because the United States publicized everything. Yeah. That they had their own publicity, that their own um, campaign. But... I mean, that didn't always work in their favor. Some of the things were really terrifying, like Apollo 1 in 1967. Yeah. Because it didn't even leave the launch pad. Oh, it, it, was, it was a fire. training exercise. They, they weren't even intended to, oh, to really? leave when they that weren't? happened. They were just doing a training exercise. And, and something shorted and, and so the U.S. fire. Their, their capsules, they filled them with 100% oxygen. And so... Oh. Anything, like things that you don't think are flammable become flammable yeah. in 100% oxygen. The Soviets used the oxygen-nitrogen mix like normal atmosphere. My understanding was that the U.S. did 100% oxygen because they were going to reuse that oxygen as part of the fuel you know, uh. to help. And, and so, you know, they didn't want to waste any anything at all. And so they had 100% oxygen in there and... So it went up, and people are like, oh, there's a fire. And so you hear, you know, through the communications, so there's a fire. And they're like, oh, get them out. And before they can they get anybody they out, couldn't. they're gone. And, the, yeah, the aftermath was pretty scary. Mm-hmm. Like, like the guy who had to go, you know, open up and see, 
he was saying, you know, like, you can't tell. There's, you know, skulls in there. You can't tell who they belong to. They're just, wow. everything just sitting on it. Like, everything just went up so fast and hot. And so they put a hold on, yeah. like, okay, fix, you know, figure this stuff out. And for 20 months, so that was in 67. Yeah. They, for 20 months, they didn't put anybody into space, or at least anybody related. So that was well, they, part of the Apollo 68, program. They'd send go. up Apollo 8. Yeah, so I think that was mm. 20 months after. Is They're like, okay, Oh, now. yeah, because it was December. Yeah, like now we can go. And the Apollo 1 happened in January of yeah, like so 67. You want to talk about that Apollo 8? I just I only have a little bit about yeah, it. Yeah, I don't have much either. But. They were they were they fully orbited the moon. Yeah. And they came home. And like, they came home. And and they took photographs of the dark side of the moon. And while they're doing it, they're practicing this is what you're yeah. going to do because they have what the command module and the command module is what's going to orbit the moon while the people go on the moon. Uh-huh. So they're like, "Okay, Practice all your command module stuff. Find, you know, how to orient, how to, you know, find landmarks, how to do whatever. They were teaching them how to use the, you know, the Which is triangulation, you know, devices for manual, you know. Because all they measuring. really had to do is go down into Nevada, Area 51, and then just pretend they're <laughs> jumping. And they're like, why did we circum? Why did we orbit the moon just to go, just to go pretend we're jumping in in Nevada? They were just looking for a good filming site. And they're like, no, this is no good. Nevada's way better. Nevada's good. It's warmer. It's way, it's way warmer. But but the that whole trip takes like six days to yeah. do that. So these guys are out in space for six days. So when they start talking about you know the uh, dehydrated food and tang and whatever else it's because when they wanted to go to the moon you're not in space for a day or a couple yeah. hours like you need to... it's a long trip it's 300,000 miles almost it's each three... way. which just an interesting story the first uh, guy into space uh alan shepherd he, he peed himself in oh, his no. suit while, he, while he's waiting to go because there were some delays and they they had nothing like they, oh, they were not no. expecting you know they this was not built in or expected so, you know, they start figuring, okay, we're going to need a way. <laughs> we're going to need a way to handle some of this stuff. So they got to, you know, live and learn sort of thing. <laughs> and that's what they didn't do with Yuri. Yeah. And so Yuri's like, I need a phone and a bathroom. <laughs> that's right. I've been on the space for <laughs> two hours now. Orange. It used to be red. <laughs> <laughs> so. That kind of led to like the the culmination, the you know almost what pretty much ended the the, the space, space race. race, which we we a United States won the space race about seven eight months later with the Apollo eleven mission, July sixteenth to July twentieth. Yeah, and, and even longer. So July twentieth was when they landed on the moon. Oh, that's right. And then they and they had to get home. To get so it was an eight You're day right. trip. But it was four days, you know, to get it, you know, onto the moon, and then four days to uh, get back. And they had Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, and Michael Collins, who is never remembered. He's never remembered. Poor Michael. He's like, I got the grabby job. He did, you know. But, I mean, it's the crappy of those jobs. But just think, like, for everybody else, this guy got to go orbit the moon. He got to orbit the moon. He got to stare down. Who else gets to do that? Watch the Earth rise over the moon. It would be incredible. But they wanted to keep somebody in that command module. You know, they probably had to. I don't know what 
all technical oh, stuff he, is required. Yeah, well, they were I'm sure they wanted to keep for somebody talking. for, uh, you know, it keep would, somebody alive just for whatever purposes. But also, because number one, they didn't know for sure that they could do this. Yeah. You know, this was not something. And Michael Collins is the one they wanted back. Yeah, just that's right. <laughs> that's how you know. Like, we're the... He's the, the guy one they that, all liked. We just yeah. don't think of him. These other guys, if something happens to them. That's right. We don't really like Neil or Buzz. They can they can be left behind. Yeah. And they, they uh, you know, the famous uh, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. And they planted a plaque that, you know, we came in peace for all mankind yeah. sort of thing. And, and it's probably not smushed to smithereens like the Soviet Union's plaque. Yeah, the Soviet Union stuff yeah. got blown. Uh, well, they did have the, they they landed something softly on there, and I think they've done it a couple yeah, times. Yeah, they did. You're right. They, you You're know, right. And I don't want to take stuff from them. You know, <laughs> we won. We'll be gracious winners. I won't be, but you can. <laughs> we but lost so much that I'm gonna I'm gonna enjoy this one. The the other thing is, this is all highly publicized and. It, it was broadcast on TV. I mean, when the yep. Apollo 8 went, they broadcast a message while they were out in space. Yeah, they talked and, to everybody. And they did, like, a Christmas message. It was Christmas Eve, and they Which broadcast something. Which is a terrible something. time to go. Just a terrible time. Yeah. As the wife of somebody who's busy, I'd be like, as the wife of an astronaut, I'd be like, are you kidding me? Bring me bring me back some space something. <laughs> That's right. You didn't even get space to, ice those cream. guys didn't get to land on the That's moon. True. Like, they didn't get to bring anything back. <laughs> no presents. But, uh, yeah, the Apollo 11 people, they brought a bunch of, you know, it's moon true. rocks and other things. But uh, they supposedly, like, 93% of American televisions were tuned into that. And supposedly, like, 600-plus million people across the world were watching. Wow. It was, they said it's like one-fifth of the world is watching on TV. That's so incredible. And, and it really was. It's, it's hard to even imagine that sort of thing now. Yeah, well, but, what would we do? Yeah, I don't know what you'd have to do. I mean, Beyonce maybe concert. that's probably the closest <laughs> thing is really those sort of things. Because even if we were like, oh, we're going to land somebody on Mars, I think know, most people would be like, yeah, whatever. Baby Shark. Yeah. That's, that's gotten enough views. That's probably the Apollo 11 was just as popular as, as Baby Shark. Baby Shark. Um, I do want to say as we as we come to the end of the space race here and acknowledge that Kennedy somehow we managed to meet his goal of getting a man on the moon before 1970 that that there was before we ever landed on the moon in 69 there was the 1967 outer space treaty that said that no country has unique ownership of the moon and as of February 2022, there are 112 countries that are part of that treaty. Um, and another 23 have signed the treaty, but have not completed ratification, whatever that is. And this is really interesting because it's a treaty that um, kind of outlines what people are allowed to do. You can't send anything to space unless you have special, like, written... I want to say authorization, but it's more like notice. Like, you don't have to get approval from anybody. You just have to do that. And I was going to say, it, it, any, any country can go to space. It yep. says, like, nobody owns this. You can't stop other people from going to space. So they, that was one of the provisions is you don't get to... You can't do nuclear warfare yeah. up there. You can't have 
any tests up there and you can't have any weapons up there that are nuclear. It does not say that you can't have any weapons. It, it just says you can't it. have nuclear weapons. Yeah, and the, one of the other things too that I thought was interesting is somebody proposed a, a moon treaty in 1979 to like any resources from the moon should belong to everybody and uh, it was signed by nobody who had ever been to space. <laughs> like anybody who'd been to space is like, yeah, we're not signing that. But all these countries that, you know, couldn't go to space are like, yeah, you should sign this saying anything you come back, you know, that comes back from the moon is, is ours too. Well, what's funny is there's a guy, there's two guys, O'Neill and Guy Kramer, and I think they must be brothers or something, that say that they have the mineral rights for 95% of the side of the moon that faces the earth. Yeah. And that they do. We were looking and dibs, 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 dibs. <laughs> they, they are going to set aside a section of 8.9 million acres around Apollo 11 lunar landing site as a world heritage site. And I was like, don't you mean lunar heritage site? <laughs> but I was like, that's hilarious. Like, <laughs> I also claim part of the moon. That just reminds me at some point they were selling, you could buy... I think it was planets. It might have been stars. There's stars. Somebody they was do selling. sell stars. Like, yeah, you want to buy a star? Well, I think you can only name them. I don't think you actually get permission to have them be named. I don't think it matters one way or the <laughs> other because the guy selling that has no authority. No, but he's probably, I mean. It's like the guy with the moon. Yeah, I'm claiming that. I Have you well, been there? Why don't we do that with pieces of land? See that mountain? Dibs. I'll let you name that mountain. It's already got a name. Not that section of Not it. That section. That's like, it's like when you buy a piece of land in like Scotland or something and you get like a square foot of land and they're like, I am a lord uh, and lady. Right. <laughs> I, I am a landowner. Like, it's genius. Some guy with his 20 acres is like, boom. Yep. Loves the white elephant gifts. Anyway, this was a fun trip down the space race. Yeah, one last thing that I wanted to bring up is nobody has been on the moon since 1972. So, there are six countries planning to go this year. Yeah. Yep. And, yeah. And, and I do think that we're actually starting to get to the point where those, you know, that, those Treaty of the Moon people, people are going to start finding ways to economically, if, if they yeah. can find anything. Which they have found some minerals. I just don't know if they're valuable. Well, let's ask O'Neill and Guy. If they were <laughs> valuable, I think we'd already be there. We'd, uh, we'd have our moon base already. <laughs> but I I think it's kind of funny because at the beginning of this, you know, I think of, of Kennedy standing up and giving his, his wonderful speech. And just to be like, oh, no, we're at the point where where we are now starting space travel for tourism. Like, yeah. Like, we, we really, we've hit it. And I know that there's always been, a, like, a type of layer of space travel for tourism for a long time where you can go wait list for a few seconds. But, I mean, we, we've hit the point with two companies that you have two choices to just be like, yeah, I want to spend my massive amounts of money and, and just go see the world from above. Just say, I don't know that we can do that yet. <laughs> you know, like, there's... The flat earthers haven't done it yet. <laughs> That's right. It would be soul crushing. You better turn around real quick once you get towards the end of that. Lots of satellite footage of the Earth spinning. None of them in the way that they want. They need to they need to get their own space race up and, and get a good view. Oh, that, uh, that, show, I don't know why that proof. reminded me. <laughs> but 
I, I'm trying to remember which one, one it was. It might have even been Apollo 11, but one of the missions that they sent out to the moon and they're transmitting stuff back, the total amount of transmitted data, and this included photos, was like 600 kilobytes. Wow. Because they can't, they don't they, have the computers, there wasn't more. they don't have the whatever, and what, and, and to us, like, wow. that's not even a, you know, an iPhone photo. An iPhone photo's five times the size of that, wow. but that's what they had to work with, and, and it really is amazing. That, that, that's how come we're tourists in space now. Yep, and now we got people that just fly it there, and then they, yeah. Take six gigs of take pictures. Take their uh, <laughs> videos, and... First TikTok in space is going to be oh my gosh. somewhere. It's probably already done. Probably. Well, I think that about wraps it up. Anything else you wanted to bring up? No. Nope. All right. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.